Welcome to all those joining us for the Shir in Chaim Aran. We're continuing, we're up to the chapter now that speaks about Rabbi Nachman's traveling and settling in Uman for the last, the final few months of his life. We dedicate the learning today, Li'ilu Nishmas Meir ben Sabut, Meir ben Shaul, the father of Rani Safti, and also Li'ilu Nishmas Tuvia Brabisrol Yitzchok, Yurachmiel Daniel ben Gedalia, and Rosa Bas Itamar. And for a complete refuah shalema for all those that need it, including Rus Alexandra Esterchaya Bas Luna Patricia, Mazel Batzahava, Sora Bas Otl, Chaviva Chana Basgalia, Jonas Ben Hilda, Yuspendel Basgitalea, Sorochel Bas Yuspendel, Eitan Yoel Ben Edna, Tuvietzvi Ben Chayaliza, Besoich Shar Choyli Yisrael. The year 5,670, Friday night, Rosh Chodesh Eor, there was a major fire in the city of Breslov, and it destroyed a number of homes, including Rabbeinazal's house. Then, on Tuesday, Rabbeinazal traveled to Uman. He left Breslov permanently and traveled to Uman. The week before that, he had sent one of his students to establish a, a residence for him in the house of Reb Nachman Nossen Rappaport. This, this person was one of the major maskilim of the city of Oman. A maskil means these people that did not believe in Hashem and people that promoted secular education and tried to, to get the, the government at the time to force religious children to have to have secular education in order to pull them away from religion, certainly in order to pull them away from studying Torah Shabal Peh, the Gemara, the Halacha. And this Reb Nachman Nelson Rappaport was one of the famous Maskilim who had died the summer before. And Rabbi Nezal sent one of his students, literally the week before this, to go to Uman to establish to a, 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 to, to rent a house, to rent that house for Rabbeinazal. And Rabbeinazal says, we saw the incredible salvation of Hashem that the week before he had sent this messenger. And on Sunday, right after the fire, this, a messenger came telling Rabbeinazal that he's invited to the city of Uman because the people there, the leaders of the city, want to welcome him. And Rav Zal says, I also joined Rav Zal for this journey. We know today it's a trip that takes about an hour and a half by car. It's about a hundred kilometers, approximately. Now, Rav Zal writes, when we were on the way, Rav Meir from the city of Teplik who was that messenger that had been sent the previous week, he met us and he got off his wagon and joined us on the wagon that we were on and he spoke to Rabbi Nezal, and he told him how the people there are very happy to welcome him to the city of Uman and that there's a beautiful, beautiful house there for him. So Rabbi Nezal spoke up and said, everything is ours. Everything is for us. We know the Gemara says in Sanhedrin, page 37, that every person is supposed to say that the world was created for me. And Rabbi Nezal said, because here we have Nachman and Nassim traveling together. And, and if that's the case, then everything is for us. And then Rabbi Nezal said, I don't want you to repeat this at all to anybody, not to talk about this at all. And then he commented that in the Gemara, we know that one of the famous rabbis of the Gemara is Rabbi Meir. And Rabbi Meir is the one whom the Gemara tells us when he heard the name of a person, he was very, very tuned into it that the name of a person tells us a lot about the person. The Gemara tells a famous story that Rabbi Meir was traveling with a few of his friends 
and close to Shabbos, they had to stop off at an inn, and they had their valuables, their money and expensive things. They wanted to put it away. So very often, these hotels or inns have a safe deposit box that you can put it in. But Rabbi Meir first asked the owner, what's your name? And when the owner told him, told him his name is Kidor, Rabbi Meir didn't comment, but he made sure not to give over his valuables to this person, whereas his friends did. Rabbi Meir went and hid his valuables in another place. After Shabbos, when his friends went to ask the owner of the hotel for their valuables, he said to them, what are you talking about? You never gave me anything. And they're looking at him, how could you lie to us? This was just yesterday we gave you, you know, and he denied it. And then they realized what Rabbi Meir, that Rabbi Meir had not given over his valuables to this person. So they said to him, like, how did you know? How did you know to be suspicious of this person? He said his name was Kidor. And I know there's a Pusik in the Torah where it speaks about evil people. And it says, Kidor Tahapucha They are an upside down generation. There, the words Ki and Dor are two separate words. But when Rabbi Meir heard his name, he knew to be suspicious. So Rabbi Nezal commented that Rabbi Meir, his student, Rabbi Meir Tepliker, was the one who told him about how beautiful the home of Nachman Nassen is. And when Rabbi Nezal heard this, he said, look at that, Nachman and Nassen are traveling here together. Rabbi Nezal and his student Rabbi Nassen. And then Rabbi Nezal commented that as soon as he left the city of Breslov, he thought of this, and he was thinking a lot about it, but he didn't want to talk about it. He didn't want to say it. And however, when he met Rabbi Meir, and, and Rabbi Meir mentioned about the house, that's what caused him to reveal this. And Rabbi Nezal said, because this is, this is something, this is like a secret. And these are the secrets of how Hashem conducts the world. How it should just so happen to be that the house that they want to rent a hundred kilometers away is owned by somebody whose name was Nachman Nassen and, and Rabbi Nezal and his closest student are the ones who are traveling there now. And Rabbi Nezal said, this is how Hashem conducts the world. Everything perfect, everything with a reason. And then he said, imagine, if, if, if people would have told somebody, Rabbi Nachman Nassen, and then he made a comment regarding making Kiddush on Friday night, and he put out his hand like somebody holding the cup during Kiddush, and Rabbi Nezal said, you see this Kiddush and this wine? This house that we're going to, they never mentioned Hashem's name even once there. This person, this Nachman Nassim Rappaport, was such an apikoris that he refused, he made sure that no one mentioned the name Hashem in that house. And then Rabbi Nezal went on to speak about the greatness of Hashem, as appears in the Sefer Rabbi Nachman's Wisdom, Sichoi Saran, the third paragraph. Rabbi Nezal said that Hashem's greatness is to such a degree that it cannot possibly expressed in writing. And he said Hashem does such wonderful things that no one can realize all the wonderful things that Hashem does. He says we can speak about Hashem, but we don't know anything. We know that the tachlis, the goal of all knowledge is to realize that, that we don't know. But he said, and even that we can't get to. And he said that this goal of realizing that we don't know pertains to every single level of knowledge. A person reaches a certain level of realizing how much he doesn't know on a certain level, but that's only in a particular area. When it comes to the next level, the person doesn't even know enough to realize what he doesn't know. And no matter how high a person goes, there's always higher than that. And therefore, Rabbi Nezal said, we don't know anything, and we don't even realize, we can't even perceive what it is that we don't know. Then Rabbi Nezal also spoke about 
how, how incredibly a high-level tshuva is. And he said a person can fall to the lowest, lowest places. And no matter how low the person falls, they're still not allowed to give up hope. Because tshuva is greater than the Torah. And therefore there's no such thing as a person giving up on themselves. We know the Gemara tells us that if a person is worthy, if a person does the right kind of tshuva, their worst sins can get converted into merits, into good things. And even though this concept has many deep secrets related to it, but still, on a certain basic level, we need to know that all of a person's failings and shortcomings can easily, easily be turned around to positive things because there isn't anything that Hashem cannot do. And this is where, again, Rabbein Ezzel stressed the most important thing is never to give up, but to always cry out to Hashem and daven to Hashem. Any questions? Uh, Rabbi, uh, if the, the negative things can be turned and become good things, what happens with the damage that some people leave behind? I mean, factually, there's a lot of destruction in the wake of somebody who later on uh, picks, uh, picks up the truth and becomes a, you know, a a decent person. So, since we are in the Elul, I thought <laughs> the question might be might be right here. There is certain damage. There is a concept of irreparable damage. There are certain things that cannot be turned around. But we're being told that there's quite a bit that can be repaired. And in terms of on a person's record. If, if there's, on a person's record, they have these negative things, these sins, a person has a negative balance in, in, in their bank account, and the Torah tells us that it's possible by doing the right kind of tshuva for that to be reversed, that negative balance. In terms of all the different types of damage that are caused along the way, not always can we see that it's, it's fixed, and not always can it be repaired. But, but there definitely is a lot that can be, can be fixed. Okay, thank you. Sure. When Rabbein Zal left the city of Breslov that Tuesday, again, after this major fire on Friday night that destroyed many homes, including his own, Rabbein Zal said, this is why it's a good thing that I'm leaving. I'm leaving them. Because it wouldn't be right that they're all in pain and I'm happy. And Rabbein Azal said, if my house had not been burned, only their houses had been destroyed, then for sure I would have to join in their suffering. Because when, it, when a Jew has this kind of pain, this kind of suffering, I'm also obligated to suffer along with them, to share in their pain and their sorrow. But now that my house was also destroyed in the process, and I definitely have to accept what Hashem does to me with love and with simcha, with joy, and I have to be very, very happy. I have to fight to make sure to be very happy. Therefore, it wouldn't be right for me to be with them because they're, all, they're in pain and, and they'll see me happy wouldn't be a good fit. And Rav Nosson Zalei's V'chovein Ma'oid understand this very well, understand the level that Rabbein Zal was on and how he understood. He understood what other people were feeling who weren't on the same level and he's teaching us to be able to know how to relate. What we're supposed to, what our goal is supposed to be in terms of a level of faith in Hashem that even when something happens to us that seems terrible, to be able to accept it, be ahava with love, and to be very happy. But at the same time, if there are other people involved, and we see that they're not happy, it has to be, we have to be extremely careful about showing our happiness in front of them. Then Rabbein Azal said, 
not only money, a, a financial loss, when I experience a financial loss, I accept that with simcha, with joy, because the Pasuk says in Eoiv, Oyer ba'ad oyer v'choyl asher le'ish yitain ba'ad nafshoi. That the Pasuk implies that when a person knows that their life is being threatened, that they could lose their life, the person is more than happy to give up money, financial, anything financial, and be able to remain alive. But Rabbi Nezal said, even when chas v'shalom, a, a, a member of my family is lost, chas v'shalom, and may Hashem protect me from today onwards, that it, it should never happen, that also I accept with tremendous simcha, to the point where the laws of Avelis, the laws of mourning, which a person is required to observe, for example, crying over the loss of a, of, of a family member or other things like that, Rabbi Nezal said he has to force himself to be able to do that. That was the madreka he was on of being able to accept what Hashem does with such simcha. And Rabbi Nezal said to him that to him it's all the same as if as if he didn't exist, as if he weren't part of this world at all. And, and, and Rabbi Nezal says, Hashem should watch over us always from now on. One other short comment that Rabbi Nezal made when he was leaving Breslov, when he stood at the entrance to the house and was about to get onto the wagon, he stood near the mezuzah and he placed his hand on the mezuzah and he said to the people that were gathered there, people from the city of Breslov, he said to them, see to it to get together and to daven together because if you'll daven together with Kavana, maybe you'll be able to bring me here again. This is a very important point that, that, that's mentioned in several places. There's a, a story about Rabbi Nachman's students who lived in the city of Nemerov and organized a Breslov minion where they would daven together and then at one point the minion fell apart and Rabbi Nezal said to them, you have no idea how special your minion was, that your minion was boikea rekiyim, your tefillos reached very high places. And this is something that he encouraged his students in a very, very important way to be together, to daven together, and, and naturally to daven with kavana, to put your heart and soul into your tefillah. Paragraph 188, Rabbi Zal says that when I was traveling with Rabbi Nezal to Uman on that journey, he spoke, spoke to me quite a bit, and he spoke divrei tanchumim, words of consolation, many things that gave me tremendous chizuk, encouragement. And I understood from his holy words the incredible level of kindness of Hashem, and how in the end, Hashem will definitely reveal the truth and, and things will be very good for us. Rabbi Nelson Zal is implying that they went through quite a bit of suffering. Rabbi Nezal himself experienced a lot of machloikis and all types of suffering and pain during his life, and Rabbi Nelson Zal also. But Rabbi Nezal gave tremendous encouragement that you're going to see in the end it's going to have all been very worthwhile. So Rabbi Nosenzal said, I spoke up and I said to him in a very powerful way that despite every, after, after everything is said and done, in the end Hashem is going to work things out the way he wants it to be. So Rabbi Nosenzal said to him like, what are you talking about? What are you talking about in the end? Hashem is always, always working everything out the way he wants it to be implying that we don't have to wait for then. Now also we need to believe and realize that Hashem is controlling everything and making everything go exactly the way He wants it to be.
Now we come to something very, very special, paragraph 189, because this is actually the opening paragraph in Likute, this actually explains the opening paragraph in the Likute Maran. And this took place again on this journey when they were traveling from Breslov to Uman. Rab Nasanzal says at one point, Rabbi Nasanzal spoke up and said <coughs> that despite everything, Hashem helps the Jews always. And there's no such thing as a generation that's completely orphaned that has no father, no, no leader to guide them. Just like Rabbi Shimon Bar Yechoyezal said in the Gemara and Shabbos, page 138, when the rabbis were discussing the future, and some of the rabbi, one of the rabbis spoke up and said, there's going to come a time when the Torah is going to be forgotten from the Jewish people, and it's going to be very, very dark. And Rabbi Shimon spoke up and said, no, the Torah is never going to be forgotten from the Jewish people because with my Sefer, with the Zohar HaKadosh, it's going to ensure that the Jews are going to be taken out of exile. And he quoted a Pasuk, a Pasuk in Chomish Dvarim, where the Pasuk says, It will not be forgotten from his children. This is what Rabbi Shimon said in the Gemara. And Rabbi Nezal focused on this Pasuk and he revealed the secret that's printed in front of the Likut Emaran where he said that if you take a look at the last letters of these five words, Ki loi sishokach mi pi zaroi, they spell the word Yoichoi, who was the father of Rabbi Shimon, who was himself a great rabbi. And he said that this is why Rabbi Shimon Bar Yechoyezal mentioned this Pasuk, because in this Pasuk is hinted to the, which child, the child of whom, is going to guarantee that the Torah will not be forgotten? The child of Rabbi, Rabbi Yechoy, which is Rabbi Shimon Bar Yechoy. So Rabbi Nosanzal says, when I heard this, I said, Rabbi Shimon definitely has tremendous pleasure from this revelation that Rabbein Azal just revealed. <clears throat> this incredible Chiddush showing how in that Pasuk is included his father's name, Rabbi Yechoi's name, which shows, and the Pasuk saying the Torah will not be forgotten, Mipi means from the mouth of, and Mipi means because of, because of his child. Who's Zaroi, his child? Whose child? The last letters spell the word Yechoi, Rabbi Yechoi's child. So Rabbi Nezal said, definitely, Rabbi Shimon Bar Yechoi has tremendous pleasure from the revelation of this Chiddush. And then Rabbi Nezal spoke up and said <coughs> that Rabbi Shimon himself is something else. This Pasuk referred to Rabbi Yechoi, his father, but Rabbi Shimon, he's something else. And he quoted a Pasuk in Doniel, where the Pasuk in Doniel says, Ir v'kadish min anochis. A holy angel came down from heaven. And the first letters of Ir v'kadish min anochis spell sh- the name Shimon. That this Pasuk is referring to Rabbi Shimon Bar Yechoyezal, who is being referred to as this incredibly holy angel that come, came down from heaven. And Rabbeinu Zalayirid, and this is not printed in many Likutim Arans, Rabbeinu Zalayirid, the words, V'yachshov, yesh nachal noivea And now we have the, the stream that flows, which originates from Chachma. And the first letters of nachal noivea mekor Chachma spell the name Nachman. Rabbeinu Zalayirid said, referring to himself. This is actually a Pasuk and Mishlei, Chapter 18. And Rabbein Zalirid, that even the ear of the Kaddish needs to receive from there. Even the ear of the Kaddish, Rabbi Shimon Bar Yechoyzal, needs to receive from the Nachal Nevea Makor Chachma, from this flowing stream. Rabbein Zalirid is another point. We had heard from Rabbein Zal previously also that Rabbein Zal said, Ani Nohor. 
Hametaher Mikol Haksamen. I am a river that can purify from all types of stains. We know that a person's sins are referred to as stains on the nisham, on the soul, on the garments of the soul. And Rabbi Nezal said, I am a river that can purify from all of these ksamim. I remember hearing once in a shir from my Rebbe Rav Rosenfeld, when he was giving shirim in Tikkunei Zohar, he said, the Zohar Kodesh speaks about this word nohor. Nohor is a river. And the Zohar Kodesh says that the word nohor, when you write out each one of the letters as a word, the way you pronounce it, nun, nun vav nun, hey, spelled, I believe, hey, hey, reish, spelled reishin, reishin, it's bigimatria bris. Bris means the sphere of Yesoi, tikana bris, <coughs> which is that item that represents purity. Now, Rabbi Nassim says that on this trip, Rabbi Nassim told a story of the Baal Shem Tov, that the Baal Shem Tov once arrived in a certain place and he appeared, it looked like he was very depressed, very, very troubled. And, and who, would, who, had, who would get up the, 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 the guts to ask him what, what it's all about? And this went on for a day and a half. Then, on Erev Shabbos, on Friday, after midday, the Baal Shem Tov said that they should search for any guests in the city, any guests that have come to the city here, and bring them to him, that they should join him in the meal for Shabbos. There weren't too many guests there. There were only two people who had walked to the city where they were, and they brought, they brought these two people before the Baal Shem Tov. And then at one point, they overheard the Baal Shem Tov arguing with these two people. And Rabbi Nezal said he doesn't remember the rest of the story that well. However, it seems that in that place there were souls for, the, for 300 years that were not able to go up to heaven. And when the Baal Shem Tov arrived over there, all of these souls gathered and came to him looking because they wait for a tzaddik to come along who's on a high enough level to be able to effect a tikkun for them, to be able to rectify them, to repair them. And this is why the Baal Shem Tov felt this heaviness, because this was very difficult, a very, very difficult task. And it seems that the Baal Shem Tov understood that there's no way he's going to be able to accomplish this unless he passes away. And for reasons that the Baal Shem Tov understood, it was very difficult for him to accept this, that he would have to pass away at that time. That's why he felt this heaviness, this sadness, and Hashem sent him these two people, and as, and as a result of this, the Baal Shem Tov was saved. And it seems that these two people somehow were hurt in the process. They had to experience some kind of a, a difficulty or a, some, some kind of hurt, and, and, and the Baal Shem Tov was able to continue living. Now, Rav Nosan Paragraph 191, that it's on the 18th of Tishrei. Things here are not, unfortunately, not necessarily in order. We mentioned in the introduction to the, to the Sefer that Rav Nosanzal said he wrote things down as he remembered them sometimes, and he wasn't always in a position to be able to put things exactly in order. Now here he writes that it was on the 18th of Tishrei, the second day of Cholamoid Sukkot, towards evening, of the year 5,671, when Rabbi Nezal passed away. And Rabbi Nezal refers to him with incredible, incredible, respectful titles. The heavenly Oroim, the light of the Jewish people, the heavenly light, the holy, precious, hidden light, our Rebbe, Rabbi Nachman, Zechad Tzadik, V'Kodesh Levrochah. And he was buried on the following day, on Wednesday, in the city of Uman, in the place that he had chosen earlier during his lifetime. 
And one of the reasons that we know why he chose this place was because of the incredible Kiddush Hashem that had taken place there, that there were thousands of Jews that chose to allow themselves to be killed rather than to give up their religion. And not just the, his burial, but his passing away in Uman was also for this reason. On Monday, the first day of Chalamoid, which was one day before he passed away, Rabbi Nezal said to Rabbi Nezal, do you remember the story that I told you? So Rabbi Nezal said, I asked which story? He said, the story of the Baal Shem that I told you when we were entering in Uman. So Rabbi Nezal said, yes. And Rabbi Nezal said, it's, a, there's, it's been a long time that they've been looking out for me to be able to bring me here. And then he said, not thousands of neshamos, but tens of thousands and tens of thousands of neshamos that require a tikkun here. And this is why Rabbi Nezal had to come to this place. The following night, Monday night, <coughs> Rabbi Nezal also spoke about this. And he said, how many judgments how many holy people were here? And then he said, what do you have to worry about, you who are still alive, since I'm going before you? Those people who already passed away, they might have, had, they might have been worried about how I'm going to be able to deal with rectifying their souls. But you... Since I'm leaving before you, I'm leaving the world before you, you have nothing to worry about at all. And Rabbi Nezal said, imagine if all of these neshamos that didn't know me at all, and they're waiting anxiously for me to bring them a tikkun, then how much more so for sure you will be able, I'll, I'll be in a position, I'll be able to be misaking you by going before you. Paragraph 190. Yes, go ahead, Excuse please. me, Rabbi Maimon. So does that uh, uh, comment that Rabbi Nachman make uh, apply to us too, who, uh, although uh, we don't, we didn't know him personally, we know him through his sperm? Most definitely. There was once a person that was talking to one of the, I believe he was talking to Rabbi Nassenzal, and he said, wow, I wish... I wish I would have known Rabbi Nachman, implying I wish I could have seen him. I... So Rabbi Nassim made a, a joke and said, who do you think knew him? The person who took him across the river on a raft? This person, you know, who saw him physically? <clears throat> That's not called knowing. Knowing a person means knowing what he's all about. And, and we know that there was a different incident <clears throat> where one of Rabbi Nachman's students said to one of Rabbi Nassenzal's students, you know much more about the Rebbe being students of Rabbi Nassenzal than we knew by being directly his students. So that people today who study Rabbi Nachman's Sforim, and especially Rabbi Nassenzal's Sforim and the Sforim of his students, definitely, definitely get a, a very good understanding and picture of who Rabbi Nassenzal was, and can make a very, very strong connection to him and can be assured with Hashem's help that Rabbi Nezah will do everything in his power to be misakin us, to give us our tikkun, both in this world and in the next world. Paragraph 192. During the time that Rabbi Nezah was living in Uman, he was sitting once and talking to us, and he said... Do you remember when I first started talking about Oman? So Rav said, yes. I remember when you called Rav and you asked him about the Sofievka Park. Rav said, you also don't know and you don't remember because way before that I spoke about Oman. And then when I was talking to Rav I was already very, very much involved <coughs> in Oman. And I already had entered deeply into studying what Uman was all about. 
and I had the ability already to bring it into a conversation that, that was related to it. And then Rabbi Nezal said, <clears throat> you also aren't so smart. You think, you think that the reason why I came to Uman is because of Reb Nachman Nassen Rappaport, because of this person who was a major apikoris, uh, a, a maskil, and, and I'm coming maybe to make a tikkun for that. He said, that isn't even one of one thousandth of the reasons that I've come to Uman. And he said the previous winter, when he mentioned that he wanted to make a trip throughout the Ukraine, the main, my main intention was then was to spend some quality time in Uman. And Rav Nassau says, from all of this, we understood that he had major, major, awesome reasons as to why he came to Uman, and that it's been a long time that already that he started understanding why Hashem wanted him to, to go there, and that there's tremendous depth into why he's there. And when he was in the city of Breslov, long before he traveled to Uman, he just made mention of it. Then already he was involved in studying this topic, you know, from far away. How much more so now that, that he's here already in Uman, and he, he sees, sees everything in front of him, then even, Rav Nassar says, even the little bit that we realized how important it was for him to be here. And he says, because we realized, the more we spend time with Rabbi Nezal, we realized that everything he did, there was tremendous depth behind it. And, and especially, especially, his trip to Uman, his traveling to Uman to pass away there, Omoik, Omoik Miyim Tzayana, is something that's very, very deep. Who can possibly understand it? Any questions? Uh, uh, Rabbi, uh, when we talk about the uh, tikkun of the uh, the shamot, uh, what, what do we know exactly what that means, and the, or at least approximately, what are we correcting here? We could spend years speaking about that, but just briefly, briefly, we're we're told that from the time Hashem first created the world. There were things that, that there were problems that came up. Number one, the, the term shattering of the vessels, that when Hashem first attempted to put his light into certain vessels, and those vessels couldn't contain the light, and they shattered. And this caused a situation of light being intermixed with these broken vessels, which requires repair. It requires separating the light from the broken vessels and repairing these broken vessels, which refers also to souls. We're told, for example, that Adam Arishain was a composite of all the souls and all of mankind. And when Adam and Chava ate from the Eight Sadas, it's as if all of the souls participated in this and were damaged by it. And that damage requires repair. That's what brought death to the world and suffering to the world initially. And all these sins that were committed in subsequent generations also cause major damage that requires repair, tikkun. So the term tikkun refers to all of these different areas. Oh, very interesting. Thank you. Thank you very much. Now, Rabbi Nezal made a comment we mentioned this in the past, and we're going to have more on this in the future, that there were three outstanding maskilim, atheists, Jewish atheists, who lived in Uman. One of them, his name was Hershber. He was a son-in-law of this Nachman Nassen Rappaport. And he had a son-in-law whose name was Landau, and he had another... He had a son of his, I believe, who was the third person. These three were, were respected very highly by the Tsar at the time. They had been given a sword, a gold sword, as a medal of honor, in a sense, of respect by the Tsar at the time, and they were very powerful.
and there were several rabbis that attempted to come to the city of Uman to stay there, and each time these three were successful in getting rid of him, getting him to leave. And when Rabbeinazal came, we're going to have more details about exactly his interaction with them, but not only didn't they get him to leave, but they became close to him and, and admirers of his and had tremendous respect for him. At first, when they would come to Rabbeinazal, he was extremely careful not to speak any words of Torah in their presence. He would, whenever they would come, he would immediately change the topic to current events or science or things like that. And it was only after a while, maybe after months, of their, their being there, and he played chess with them, and it was only after a substantial amount of time that Rabbeinazal started being Makari them, to the point where on Rosh Hashanah, they joined him in the tefillah, that final Rosh Hashanah. So now Rabbeinazal commented about these types of people, and he said these major Rishon, evil, wicked people, when they come to a true tzaddik, the fact that they're coming to him, the fact that they're humbling themselves to come to him and to show some degree of respect, that itself makes accomplishes a major, major tikkun where the tikkun needs to be made. Because since they are so evil, since they're such major ishoim, when they humble themselves, even slightly, in the presence of a true tzaddik, this makes, uh, accomplishes a major tikkun. And Rabbein went on to explain, we know that all the religious Jews that pray, we say several times a day, Ki Godoil Hashem Mikol Elohim. Hashem is greater than all the different idols in the world. We say it, and it doesn't cause any nuclear explosion in heaven. But when Yisroi, when Yisroi, who was the greatest, one of the greatest idol worshippers of his time, when Yisroi came along and he said, now I have come to realize that Hashem is great, the Zohar HaKadosh tells us, that Hashem's honor was elevated in an incredible, incredible way. And that's when Hashem decided and made the announcement that He's coming down to earth to give the Torah on Har Sinai. Because it was specifically when someone who is so far into Tumah, someone who is steeped so much into the Klippos, and a person like that humbles himself to holiness, that causes an incredible, incredible respect for Hashem. Rav Nassim says, I once heard also someone told me in the name of Rav that he told someone, you have no idea when one of them makes the slightest turn towards holiness, all of the heavenly worlds turn with him. We know Rav once made a comment where he said when a Jew when a religious Jew twirls his payas, there are worlds that turn with him, meaning that every single thing we do here on earth has tremendous significance. But here, Rabbi Nezah said, when it comes to these super rishoim, when they make a, a slight turn towards holiness, it causes a major uproar in heaven. Paragraph 199, Rabbi Nezah went on to say an incredible thing. He said, that a person who reveals a new invention in the, wor- into, in the world or something new in the sciences, usually that person doesn't have a happy ending. That person usually ends up having a major mapola, a major downfall, through that invention that he invented or through that chokhmah that he revealed. And he said we find this by many of the wise people among the Goyim who discovered new things, new discoveries. For instance, for the example, Columbus, who discovered America, and in the end, Rabbi Nezal said he died in chains because there were people in a particular colony that didn't like the way he was doing their things, and they reported him to the Spanish government, and he was called back, and he died in chains. And so too other Chachamim, such as 
there was a Russian inventor who was known as Gorg Wilhelm Richman, who was a pioneer in experiments with lightning. And in the end, he died from a lightning bolt. And so too, <clears throat> other people, Galileo, who discovered the telescopic lens, a telescope, to be able to look at the stars and things like that. In the end also, he was declared, he, was, he agreed with Copernicus about the, fact, about the Earth revolving around the sun, and he was declared, the, the, the Goyim at that time declared him a heretic, and he didn't have a happy ending. They, they burned him to death. And so too, Socrates, Yamach Shemoy, who was one of the leading philosophers, in the end, he was put to death. They made him drink poison, a certain type of poison, because of his wisdom. And so too, many other philosophers that, that discovered new things and revealed new things, usually they ended up having a mapola through that item. people think that these were such great heroes and such wonderful people, we see that for whatever reason Hashem understood that they, they should not have a, a peaceful ending. And now Rabbeinu Zal adds an interesting point that regarding our holy Torah, Rabbeinu Zal said he doesn't agree with those people who are always trying to bring out new, new approaches a new approach, a new way to learn, or a new, a new, a new idea in Torah, a new halacha, or a new hanhaga, a new way that people should conduct themselves. And Rabbi Nezal said, we're talking about those people where their intentions are not pure. Their intentions are not to reveal the truth, the pure truth. Their intention is... To, be rec- to achieve recognition because they came up with a new idea. And he said that this is a major taiva, this is a major desire by people who are on a higher level that they, they're always looking for new things, to invent new things, to bring forth new ideas. And Rabbi Nassau didn't agree with this at all. He said, we don't have to come up with brand new things the main thing is that our intentions should be the truth, that we're seeking, we're searching for the real truth. It's important to note here that the Zohar Kodesh says, and Rabbeinu Zal also speaks about this, Rabbeinu Zal, Rabbeinu Zal, that it's an incredible zechus when a person is zechut to come upon a new revelation in Torah, a new idea, it's a major zechus, and it's one of the greatest tikkunim for a person's parents or grandparents that have passed away, one of the greatest things that can be done to benefit their soul is when a person is zoichet to chidushe Torah, to bring forth a new revelation in Torah. But it seems what Rabbi Nassau is trying to tell us here is that's when a person is learning as well as they can. They're trying to learn the words of the Torah and the words of other rabbis. And in the process of learning, there's zoichet to see a chiddush, something new, something incredible. But those people who make this their goal, that this is their goal and this is why they're learning, they're learning in order to find a chiddush so that people can hear that I came up with a chiddush, that kind of thing, that's something that Rabbi Nezal disagreed with. Two questions. All right, Robert. First one is, there's a lot of Jews today who work in research and development and other things like that. Uh, I am not one of them, but what would someone who is in that kind of position need to do to protect themselves from some of these things that Reverend Nachman was talking about? I would say the most important thing is to realize, and this Rav Nassar writes about in a certain place, that when someone invents something, it's usually not necessarily because they're smarter than other people, their colleagues or other people, but rather it's because Hashem has decided that this invention should be revealed in this generation, on this day, you know, by, by this person. 
And the, if a person is careful not to take personal credit, not to say, I came up with this, my idea, that kind of thing, but rather to make it perfectly clear that they realize that all wisdom comes from Hashem, and that I thank Hashem for giving me the ability to see this, to recognize, to see this, to realize this, and to be able to reveal this. That's one of the ways that a person could protect themselves you know, from chas v'shom being harmed. Okay, the second thing I wanted to ask you is related to an interview I saw that you gave recently on Chorek Hanoins. What do you, how do you feel that uh, interview went and uh, would you recommend people listening to that show? Because it's usually a good show. You're referring to a podcast, the David Lichtenstein podcast? Exactly. The answer is that I'm not that familiar with it. I looked at it a little bit before, before when I was invited to speak on that past podcast. I looked at a little bit. <clears throat> I one of the things that I heard about and I experienced personally is that the person running it is quite aggressive. He takes a certain position and he's quite quite aggressive in in defending his position against sometimes what the person whom he's interviewing is saying, but. Uh, so I, I, I don't really feel comfortable saying one way or another yet, unless I, I study it more carefully. I'm sorry, what podcast is that? There's a, a podcast called the Headlines. It's called Headlines, or Halacha Headlines, something like that. And it's run by a person, a David Lichtenstein. Okay, thank you. Sure. Okay, we'll hold it. We'll hold it here for now. Well, it's um, it's interesting that we're learning now about Rabbeinazal coming to Uman at a time when the the eyes of the world are on Ukraine and Russia. What's going on there, and the Rosh Hashanah that's coming towards us, and how the Breslavers are going to deal with the the whole current situation. We hope and pray that everyone will be protected. Those that are traveling to Uman, those that are in Uman, and on the way back. And those that don't travel to Oman, everyone should be under Hashem's protection. Unfortunately, here we hear in Eretz Yisrael, we hear things every day, horrific car accidents and piguim terrorist act. Just a few minutes before the shear, I heard that on a famous road, Road 90 in Eretz Yisrael, which is the road that we've been taking for 50 years to go from Yerushalayim to go up north, to go towards Tiveria, to go towards Miron Svas, there was a terrible terrorist act attacking, I believe, an army bus and, and throwing Maltov cocktails and shooting and people hurt in the process. Hashem should, all of us all over the world, need major protection. Hashem should watch over us and protect us. And we should be ready to see the Gula Shlema with the coming of Mashiach. Amen, Amen.